later on when I met with Brian, you know, he was like standing in front of me, was bending over and said, okay, Klaus, come on, you can kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's six minutes. I know it's too long. I know people don't really want to listen to six minute songs right now. You know, he said, you know, I believe in this song. I'm going to do what I want. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. In this podcast series, we concentrate on classic rock and the stars from the 60s, the 70s and the 80s with rock star interviews and more. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now, it's been a big week of interviews for Vintage Rock Pod this week. I did four in a space of just a few days with a really diverse mix of guests too. There's a glam rock star, there's a punk rock star, a hard rock star and a songwriter for country rock. And when I say songwriter, he's written a couple of tracks which appear on the biggest selling album in American history. So the next few episodes are going to be great, I tell you. A quick shout out to say hit like and follow on our social media accounts too, please. I tried to keep them well populated with video clips from interviews and various other bits of information on there too. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on all the usual places, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that sort of stuff. Come and say hello. Right, on this episode then, we've got a brilliant interview with the lead singer of one of mainland Europe's biggest selling bands of all time, over 100 million records. Incredible. We also speak to Maudi in LA from History of Rock Facebook page to get another weird and wonderful set of facts for us. But we'll kick off with what's happening in the world of rock today. Journalist and author with Universal Music's You Discover Music website and record collector magazine Tim Peacock joins us now to run through all the rock stories making the headlines this week. Hi Paul, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. Now, as always, you've got a, a list of stories I'm sure lined up that's going to tickle our taste buds and get us delighted. What, what have you got lined up for us this week? Uh, well, I have a few interesting ones this week, actually, Paul. Um, again, there's quite a variety of stuff. Firstly, if I may, just a quick follow-up on, on a story from last week. Uh, remember we were talking about Roger Dean? He has a, an art exhibition yep, yep. at a gallery uh, down in, in East Sussex. Well, um, as I was saying, you can actually go and see that live with social distancing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's now actually possible to take a virtual tour of the exhibition mm. via the gallery's website. So, for all fans of um, great prog rock artwork, if you go to uh, it's called Trading Boundaries. So that's uh, tradingboundaries.com, and um, after you can actually take a, a virtual tour around Roger's exhibition. So that might be quite interesting for people. So. Sounds okay. Cool. Yeah. Right. Anyway, on to the new stuff this week, which is first one of which uh, let's talk a little about the band Anthrax, one of the what they call them, one of the big four, don't they? One of the, the uh, major progenitors of uh, thr the thrash metal scene of the 1980s. Yeah. Um, they've teamed up with people called Z2 Comics to create a graphic novel adaptation of their album Among the Living from 1987. They're actually kind of big fans of the genre, apparently. Uh, Charlie Benante from the band says, quote, doing a comic book has always been a huge goal for me. I'm a lifelong artist and have been drawing during the pandemic more than ever. Uh, so I had the idea to bring my own artwork to this project. Um, they're also fans of the Judge Dredd series since the 1980s as well. Um, it's going to be available. It's actually available for pre-order at the moment from Z2 Comics website. Um, it's not officially out until April or May, um, so you'll have to wait for your merch to arrive, but you can pre-order it. Uh, my second story this week is uh, more of the classic rock, rock variety. 
um, ACDC, we've all missed them, haven't we? And then now they're back, finally, after yeah. we thought they'd probably hung up the guitars for good, but they're back in no uncertain terms. And this week, um, just to prove that rock really isn't dead, their new album, Power Up, which has been getting a lot um, a lot of acclaim already, its debut has gone straight in at number one on the UK album chart. Absolutely fantastic. Have you listened to it yourself yet, Tim? I've only heard the, one of the songs off it. It sounds, it sounds pretty good, all right, I must say. Um, I, I need to check it out in detail. I, I like a lot of their stuff. Classic ACDC. I think um, my favourite track of it is uh, Kick You When You're Down. Right. Like right. the big old nose involved in that. So, yeah, please check it out. <laughs> I will. absolutely will. Um, it's apparently it's now that that's actually their fourth number one in the UK. Uh, following Black Ice went to number one. The Iron, Iron Man 2 soundtrack went to number one. And, of course, the one that everyone <laughs> knows, Back in Black, of course, went straight to number one yeah. in 1980. I think apparently it sold, according to the figures I've got, it sold over 60,000 copies to get to number one, which in this day and age of, you know, streaming and downloading, that's impressive, isn't it? So Physical sales. Definitely. definitely. I need to listen to that one in detail <laughs> anyway. So We'll get your review next week, Tim. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Paul, definitely. Okay. <laughs> and uh, on, to my, on to my third one again. It's the classic rock variety. Um, Kiss have announced a massive virtual concert for New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah, I did see something about this. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's actually going to be from uh, Dubai, apparently. It, it is a virtual show. It's going to be held in front of, quote, a live COVID-screened and safe audience. Uh, it's at the Royal Beach at Atlantis in Dubai. The promotional video, in which is out there at the moment, you can see that on YouTube for it if you just type in, it's Kiss 2020 goodbye. That's what they've called it. So fair enough. That, as they would yes. um but they're promising quote the biggest and baddest concert event and pyrotechnic show of the year so i do know that apparently they, they've brought 400 people from their own staff or their team wow. have been have been they've re, you know redeployed them to work on this thing so um it looks like it's going to be a pretty big thing anyway so That's yeah heck of a show yeah but the sounds of that 400 people working on it i mean if you're a rock fan and you, you love your kiss and and you want something to celebrate on new year Eve, then what better than to to put on a live stream show from from your idols? I think absolutely Dubai Rock City rather than Detroit Rock City, perhaps for that <laughs> night. But I think, as you say, pretty good way, I suppose, to spend your you know your, your Hogmanay or whatever. It's a pretty good way of spending it, I guess, if you're into Kiss anyway. So yeah. And let's be honest, the name they've given it is perfect, isn't it? Kiss 2020 Goodbye. Yeah, which I, th I think it's a sentiment a lot of us can appreciate right now, isn't it, really, that one? So, yeah, I think go out with a bang with Kiss. It sounds pretty good anyway for the year. So, anyway, that's what, I've got. that's what I've got this week, Paul, anyway. So I hope that's all right. That is brilliant, Tim. Thank you very much for, for bringing us the latest news in the rock world, as always. And we'll uh, catch you next week with your review of ACDC's new album, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My pleasure, Paul. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, as always. And thanks to Tim for joining us there. Now it's time to hear our rock star interview for this week. It's a hat-trick for us of hard rock vocalists. Episode 6 was Bob Catley from Magnum. Last week's show we had Joey Tempest from Europe. And today's guest is also from the continent. Lead singer with a huge rock group that Rolling Stone magazine once labelled as the heroes of heavy metal. They went massive all over the world and were key cultural figures at a time when the world was changing at the end of 80s and early 90s. This interview was so much fun. What a laugh we had. So please enjoy this. It's my chat with Scorpion's lead singer, Klaus Mein. 
So today's guest on Vintage Rock Pod is a guy who's been on the go for more than 50 years. It's incredible. Performed more than two and a half thousand live shows in more than 80 countries and has gone gold, platinum and multi-platinum over 200 times around the world. It's my absolute pleasure and privilege to welcome to the Vintage Rock Pod lead singer with one of the best hard rock bands of all time, The Scorpions. Welcome to the show, Klaus Mein. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on there. No problem at all. It's, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Now, this may be a silly question to start with, but you see people that have one gold record or one platinum record and they have them displayed on the wall behind. Now, you have 200. Do you get a record every time you get one? And if you do, where do you put them all? <laughs> They're all over the place, you know, and uh, well, <laughs> can't find one right now. But uh, oh, wait a minute. Oh, this is good. This is good. Oh, look at this. Da, da, da. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful gold disc. Which one's that, Klaus? Uh, actually, uh, this is uh, for Virgin Killer. It's it's from Japan. From oh. It's like from back from the 70s. So. Yeah. 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 I, probably our very first one, you know. So, no, there are lots of uh, gold and platinum albums uh, around my studio here, you know. <laughs> but uh... brilliant <laughs> now the scorpions and yourself and everything you've sold more than 100 million records 110 120 now that puts you in the same kind of level with numbers as the likes of the beach boys and the who and prince and guns and roses and def leopard now as a group of friends from hanover how does that make you feel being mentioned in in, in the company the same company as those kind of guys well, I, when I think about it, you know, it, I remember the old days, the early days when we, were, when we were starting out, you know, being a young band starting out in West Germany, uh, listening to The Who, The Beatles, Stones, The Kings, all those great British bands. And uh, I mean, it's still like a thrill, you know, and... and there is a place in your heart where you're still a fan, you know, and uh, <laughs> when it comes to those bands, you know, I had the pleasure to not only to we played with the Who a couple of times uh, mm -hmm. many years uh, ago, but also recently, like a couple of years ago, I had the pleasure to to uh, give an award to Roger Daltrey, you know, we had a nice uh, oh. evening out there. Uh, at this event, you know, spent some dinner time and had, had a chance to chat a bit, you know, and it's it's wonderful, you know. I think we we played like a Who version of Can't Explain, uh, yes, yeah. like uh, some years ago, and uh, for the Make a Difference Foundation. And I think we I remember we played uh, in Royal Albert Hall uh, and for some charity. And Roger was there, and for a sound check, we, we jammed uh, Can't Explain, and he went like, oh. <laughs> Not so bad, guys. Pretty cool version. <laughs> and that's a huge compliment, you know. So what can I say? It makes you feel like a fan again, definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you guys, you're still going strong and you were touring with Megadeth in the US just a couple of years ago and you've got some residency dates as well in Las Vegas that was moved from this year to next year and you've got a nice run of dates in May, haven't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, for 2020, the plan was to... Uh, record a new album and other than that when we came back from the tour earlier this year in March we played Australia and Southeast Asia and then we wanted to go to Los Angeles to record a new album with uh, our producer Greg Fiedelman 
like in May mm -hmm. and, and June in LA, and then go to Las Vegas for, for a residency, uh, Planet Hollywood, you know, and, and those shows were the only shows planned for this year, <laughs> fortunately, you know, so we, we postponed those Vegas gigs and uh, we focused uh, uh, very much on the, on writing new songs and working in the studio. And uh, so far it's been uh, not easy, but uh, because mm -hmm. of all the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, uh, but it, it's a blessing when you have a chance to go in a studio and create uh, some new songs. And uh, when you take a deep dive in your own creative world, you know, and so, yeah. And here we are. It's already November yes. and we're all hoping uh, life will come back to normal, <laughs> hopefully uh, next year and uh, we can go back out on the road again. Absolutely. We'll get to your new album in a second, but I just want to touch on the fact that you've released um, a special Wind of Change box set as well just recently to mark the 30th anniversary. Now, that's a very, very special song, isn't it? It was written and released during a time when the world was changing and, and you were one of the first Western bands to perform in the Soviet bloc. And it, it, was that what inspired you to, to write that song and come up with that song? Yeah, well, it was uh, after all these years of success in 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 the Western world throughout the 80s, you know, when we came to the Soviet Union around 88, we played shows in Leningrad and one year later at the Moscow Peace Festival, you know, it's like we could feel the changes and the Russian kids came to us saying, hey, here's a young generation and a new generation and uh, the time of the Cold War will be over soon. And uh, it was so amazing to see that the Soviet Union in the late 80s, you know, it was a different place like than today. And to play there like like what later turned out to be like a, a Russian Woodstock, you know, with all those bands from the US and yes. England and uh, Russia. And uh, it was such a very, very touching moment, you know, to play two nights in Lenin Stadium in August uh, 89. And a few months later, the Berlin Wall came down. You know, so the change was in the air and we were just right in the middle of all of it. Absolutely. And in the special box set, there's a, there's a very special version. It was the demo version that you did. It was very stripped back and, and very powerful. And it contains the, the, the now iconic, and there's no other word to put it, the, the whistle that you did. Now, that was very unusual, wasn't it, for, for hard rock bands, metal bands at the time, whistling in the song. Um, where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just, if I would be a guitar player, you know, like uh, probably I would have come up with some cool riff or, or something, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> something on my guitar. But I was just uh, playing around with my little piano with like a DX7. And uh, it was just playing around with it. And this whistle, the lyrics, uh, the melodies, everything came up just because... The inspiration for that song and what we went through and what we saw between 88 in Leningrad and one year later in Moscow, uh, it was such a deep inspiration, you know, and I think this is uh, the best way you write a song and it, it comes uh, from deep inside, you know, and uh, it's not you you want to write a song about uh, uh the, the the Berlin Wall or anything, you know, and you walk for hours and hours, days and days <laughs> to find the right hook line. So this song, it came to me, you know, and uh, the whistle, uh, I thought 
it's it's cool because I was thinking about songs like Jealous Guy, John Lennon, you know, or uh, Guns N' Roses, you know. There were there were bands they used like the whistle, like like a, a throwaway kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know. Yeah. And with this song, uh, I follow the Moskwa down to Gorky Park. It had this kind of vibe, you know. It just uh, a very personal kind of thing and just a throwaway kind of feel, you know. Something like that, you know, <laughs> not too much thinking about. And of course, I <laughs> I was not thinking about this could be something where later on uh, it was a huge discussion. Is this cool or is it not? <laughs> you know, and uh, when the record company in America uh, wanted to release that song as a single, you know, the guy called me, the a &I guy called me and said, Klaus, you know, this will be the next single in the US, but we have to take the whistle out, you know. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no way. <laughs> and uh, so, of course, we kept it in. It became also a hit in the United States. Yes. And in England. And we missed the number one slot because of Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody missed number one because of Brian Adams at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And later, later on, when I met with Brian, you know, and uh, he was like standing in front of me, was bending over and said, okay, Klaus, come on, you can kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, you've probably been asked a million times, but can you give us a quick blast of the whistle now? A quick whistle? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. It's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's no phenomenal. And I never <laughs> thought this would be something where, you know, it's such a uh it's such a big thing, you know. It I mean, of course, later on I realized with all the hooks inside that song, this this song was a hook line in its own, you know, and mm -hmm. it was a very yeah. strong uh uh, you would recognize that song immediately, you know, when the song started. And I know being in the studio, uh, when we recorded uh, the Crazy World album, it's now, it's the release was just now 30 years ago in November this yeah. year, 30 years ago. Uh, we worked with uh, uh, Keith Olsen in the studio. And I know Rudolf Matthias, our guitar players, they, they tried to come up with something cool, you know, for the intro and for those whistle parts to replace it with some cool guitar stuff, you know, but it wouldn't work out. And in the end, they came back and said, you know, we feel also it's a good, it's, it is good the way it is, you know, and uh, yeah. we kept it that way. Fortunately, we did, you know. It's iconic. It really is. Um, if you don't mind me going back a little bit further, if that's okay. Um, there was a time in the early 80s, maybe 1981, when you had a trouble with your throat, didn't you? And you had to have a couple of surgeries on your throat. Now, as a singer of a, a really successful band, I mean, how did you feel at that time? Were you worried about whether you'd be able to carry on with the band or anything like that around then? Yeah, I mean, for me, it felt like the end of the road, you know, because it mm. was really serious. I went... Uh, twice uh, for surgery for on my vocal cords and I had the feeling I mean we knew all the songs you know I knew all the vocal lines everything and I knew that would be quite a challenge to put the vocals on on that album you know and uh, uh, fortunately when I offered the band that that uh, I would 
leave the scorpions. Uh, Rudolf Schenker said, come on, Klaus, you do everything you can and we wait for you until, until your voice is back, until you're ready to go, you know? And this was like, with all the tragedy around those uh, blackout recordings, but in the end of the day, it was such a triumph, you know? Uh, and since then, it feels like I'm on the longest encore, you know, in my life. <laughs> because uh, it was really like, it was also, it was like real friendship, you know. It, it was a triumph right. of friendship. And we always said, uh, the Scorpions, the longevity of the band, it's about uh, the chemistry and not only being business partners, but also being friends, you know. And that moment when we recorded Blackout, it, it proved exactly that, you know, and it was like a friend saying, come on, Klaus, you don't leave right now. We wait for you until you're ready to come back into the studio and sing, put those vocals on. And, and I did. And uh, it's the greatest thing when we not only talk about the past, you know, and go like, wow, and 30 years back and this and this and Blackout in 82. Uh, but to be here today in 2020, and even in those yeah. very uh, challenging times with the coronavirus, which is as bad here as it is in the UK, I guess, you know, it's all over the place. And mm -hmm. uh, who would have thought in our life that we have to go through something like this, such a pandemic that goes all over the world. And But we're here and we talk about new music, we talk about new songs, and the perspective into 2021, uh, where hopefully there will be a new album out and hopefully we can come back, finally, back to the UK for our fans. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, we're talking about the new music there. You, you, you've been working through lockdown and, and doing Zoom meetings with, with producers and all that kind of stuff. And you, you actually released one um, not too long ago, Sign of Hope, didn't you? A new, a new single just to, to, to put out there. Yeah, you know, because when we came back from the last show we played was at the 5th of March in Singapore. And when we came back home and week after week and situation got more worse. And it was so uh, inspiring to see so many musicians, especially young musicians that, that came up with their home concerts, you know, mm -hmm. just sitting at home, picking up a guitar and playing a song or two, you know, and I thought... This was very nice uh, in a way, sending out like, like a, a piece of hope, you know, and this was what inspired me to write a little song, not thinking about this is uh, the first big single of the next album. It had nothing to do with that at all, you know. <clears throat> we had uh, many songs written actually for the new album last year and we picked it up uh, when we came back from the tour in March. But this was something different, you know. I just wanted to create a little song uh, saying, okay, this is a very difficult and dark situation for all of us. And hopefully uh, we will go through this together, you know, and we take care of ourselves. There will be better times around, you know. And uh, we put this song out on... Uh, our social networks, you know, on Facebook, Instagram, uh, around the end of April, early May, I think. We never did something like this before because it's always <laughs> the first single of an album. You yes. know, you count down the days, you know, five days, four days, years, a big single. <laughs> this had nothing to do with this at all. It was just putting it out 
on the social networks and see what happens, you know. And it was such a strong and positive vibe uh, from our fan base. Uh, and we have like uh, around 7.6 million fans on Facebook alone and 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 a million and something on, on Instagram, I think. So it's not this. <laughs> yes, a Scorpions yeah, community yeah. out there. And we wanted to give it to them. It was great to see that it started with our fans in Russia. Uh, they came back. They made a little video of Son of Hope uh, where they sang it. Everybody picked up a line in the song. They have a, had a microphone or they had like a fan scarf you know, or uh, whatever it was, like a drumstick, you know, they passed it on <laughs> out of the picture to the next singer. So yep. when this video came back, I thought, wow, this is fantastic. Uh, you sent something out into the world and it comes back that way where everybody uh, uh, enjoyed to, to be involved, you know. And uh, this was so inspiring to say to the rest of the world, come on, guys. Give us your signs of hope. You know, whatever it is, send those pictures, images to us and we make a second video, a third video and we keep going because we want to see you in our video, you know. And they did. A wonderful thing. So it was like a, not an experiment, you know. It, it came straight from the heart in troubled times, yeah. you know. And what came back was so much love and a wonderful thing to still, especially in this... Uh, pandemic to be connected with our fans we cannot go on out on the road you know and uh, and hopefully we all stay well and healthy and we see all of you again next year phenomenal and it's great to see the fans loving what you're putting out there so what are you going to put out there in terms of your new album then have you got you obviously said you've been working on some songs already what, yeah. what's the feel of it because greg fiedelman who's is working on he's worked with metallica and sabbath and very yeah. heavy stuff so will it be a heavy sound we went through yes absolutely i mean sign of hope is just a little piece of of music you know to lighten yeah. your soul and when we started thinking about this album, which was actually last year in the spring of 2019, we said we wanted to make an album with lots of attitude, power. And that mm -hmm. was one of the reasons we picked Greg Fiedelman, who used to work with Metallica, like you said, or Slipknot, you know, and we wanted to make a harder edged record. You know, there might be one or two ballads on the record as well, yeah. since this is so much part of the Scorpion's DNA. But the focus was really on the harder songs, the up-tempo songs and that. Greg uh, joined us uh, every evening, our time, and every morning, LA time, uh, via Zoom. And we went okay. through the songs, <laughs> went through the arrangements and all that, you know. And it's been working out very well so far. And right now we're on a point where we take it to the next step, where we go actually, actually into recordings. And here... Yeah. You know, it will become more difficult when your producer is not in the same room like the band. It's not yeah. so easy. But on the other side, we have to make a compromise and find ways uh, to get the job done, you know, because we have a lot of great songs. We're very motivated and nail them down, you know. And uh, yes, and hopefully, you know, this album will be out in hopefully in the spring or maybe later. Who knows? I mean, you know, but nobody knows right now. All we know is uh, we are 
very, very motivated. Uh, it's a lot of fun, even in this kind of very difficult situation, to work on new songs and really mm -hmm. to hopefully come up with something where our fans go, yes, you know, come on, Scorpions. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's right now Matthias is doing guitar overdubs, you know, so we're moving, you know, and yes, uh, yeah. that feels really It's all coming good. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a name for the album or anything like that yet? Yeah, there are a few ideas, but it's way too early to to, <laughs> to say this will be the title because with album titles, it's always, you know, it's like the very last minute and everybody comes mm -hmm. with ideas, putting some ideas on the table, you know, but I think... Yeah, we might have a good title, you know, but it's it's a little too early. It's, it's too early so far. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Klaus, and uh, I, we look forward to hearing this new record when it when it's finished and you've got it all polished and, and exactly the way you want it. And we're looking very much forward to come back to the UK. I mean, you're in Scotland right now. I know we haven't been in Glasgow or up there for way too mm -hmm. long. It's way too long ago and I have only great memories, you know, like playing Glasgow, the, playing Glasgow like the highest stage in the world, you know, at the Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember uh, we had for the encore and uh, uh, what it's called, like a piper, like a Scottish piper. Yes, yes, bagpipe them. And doodlesack. What? The bagpipes. A bagpipe. Yeah. A bagpipe. Yeah, exactly, a bagpipe. You know, and. Uh, so the guy joined us on stage and he played the Rose of Scotland, you know. And Fantastic. All hell broke loose, you know. <laughs> the place went crazy. <laughs> that sounds like a Scottish night, definitely. We hope we see all of you again next year and uh, stay healthy and well, you know. That's the most important thing right now. Honestly, what a fun interview that was. And that was just the edited version to fit into this podcast. You can see the full interview, which runs to about half an hour, over on our YouTube channel. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod, and you can see it all on there, along with the gold disc that he showed me at the start of that interview. It's brilliant. All the other interviews that we've done as well from the guests along the series are, are going to be on that YouTube channel. And there's bits like some of the quizzes and top fives too, which leads us nicely onto this. And as you'd expect, this week's subject of the top fives is, of course, Klaus's wonderful band. So if you're not too familiar with the Scorpions, this should get you going. Here's the top five Scorpion songs according to the Vintage Rock Pod. At Five is one of their earlier singles from their third album in 1975, an album that saw them venture away from the kind of prog-style krautrock towards hard rock. It was the only single released from the album. It starts slowly, eerily maybe, with a big heavy chorus. At Five is in trance. At number four is a staple of their live shows, another of their big rock anthems that they specialise in. From the 1984 album Love at First Sting, at number four is Big City Nights. At three is also from Love at First Sting. This was huge in America. It was on heavy rotation on MTV. VH1 voted it the 18th greatest hard rock song of all time, so high praise indeed. At number three is Rocky Like a Hurricane. Second on our list could easily have been number one for me. I absolutely love it. It's another of those tracks that has a huge sing-along chorus and big power chords. Comes from the 1982 album Blackout. At number two is No One Like You. And at number one is a song that is more than just a song, or an anthem. It's so much cultural importance and means so much to so many. It topped the charts around the world and comes from the album Crazy World. The number one song, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the wonderful 
Wind of Change. Wind of Change, such a good song, brilliantly crafted with so many different hooks in it. You've got the whistle, you've got the lyrics, you've got the guitars. It's just really, really tremendous. Now, before we started recording, I was speaking to Klaus because at the time of the fall of the Berlin Wall, I was actually living in West Germany myself. Happened to be literally half an hour drive or so away from Hanover, where the Scorpions are from, and Klaus still lives nearby now. Now, that moment, the fall of the wall, was such a huge thing for millions of people in, in East and West Germany and across Europe. Perhaps if you lived elsewhere in the world at the time, or still do, or you weren't around then, or maybe too young to take it in properly, it's hard to truly understand what it really meant. Now, when I was researching the interview, I was watching some of their live sets on YouTube, and there was one in particular from a fairly recent festival, I think it was 2015, they performed at Hellfest in France. And when they sang Wind of Change, they cut to shots of people at the front of the barriers, you know, as, as they do, they get shots of the people's faces and things like that. And maybe a verse in, there's a shot of a woman standing there with tears just dripping down her face and she's just looking up at Klaus singing. And then towards the end of the song, there's what you class as a, a, a big rock guy, you know, long hair, beard, big guy. He's absolutely belting out the words to the song. He's singing with all his might and he has tear stains on his, te- on his, on his cheeks too. Now, for a song to be able to do that to people, it's just, you know, the power of music. The power of music. A song that can move you like that. Um, yeah, I'm getting emotional just, just talking about it. So yeah, that's my top five uh, Scorpion songs. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, do you agree or disagree with that list? I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch on the social media channel. Search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube and let me know. And if you want a place where all the top fives that we do with all the artists kept together in one nice little place, then um, go onto Spotify, search for Vintage Rock Podcast, and there's a playlist on there with all the top fives compiled nicely together. You can just hit shuffle and enjoy some fantastic music. Right, time to cross the big ocean then and speak with our good friend Maudi in Los Angeles. He's from uh, Rancor.com and he also runs the History of Rock page on Facebook too. So, here's Maudi. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me again. It's all good. Always good to speak to you, my friend. Now, um, we've got some fantastic lists and stuff going up on Ranker.com at the moment and seeing them on History of Rock as well. Um, give us the, the list that you've got for us today, because I, I love this one. We have 13 hit songs, so big famous songs that you probably know the lyrics to or recognize um, that were almost left off of the albums that um, they were on. So these are like, you know, the biggest songs pretty much in the world ever yep. recorded and they were almost left off of these albums so let's let's jump right into you know what could have been a first song i have lined up is believe it or not the stones uh, originally wrote i can't get no satisfaction or satisfaction right that's the the short version keith richards woke up in the middle of the night uh just kind of in his sleep probably drunk and high off something uh wrote it got a tape recorder you know mumbled i can't get no satisfaction you know um woke up the next morning they worked on it it was like a great song oh, sing it Maudie. <laughs> <laughs> i got you i got you um so they they ended up recording the song all acoustic right which is weird because you've never heard it acoustic the problem with the song was that um mm-hmm. apparently it sounded a little too much like bob dylan and, and too much like a folky song uh but they and they, they wanted a different sound for the album so they ended up obviously switching it up and, and making it the song we know today um 
and it's literally one of the biggest songs of the Stones ever, you know? Could you imagine? Insane to think that that was going to be left off the album, yeah. And all because it sounded like Bob Dylan. I, I, I Honestly, I wish I could find the song, how it sounded before it was remade into electric guitar and all that, because that would be so interesting to hear. I, I, yeah. I could hear it in my head, honestly. It's weird because you, you associate with the start, don't you? The very first... Dun, 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 dun. So even putting that into acoustic, just it would be very, very weird. Exactly. Like just straight up off the bat, the song would be completely different. And I mean, just think about how many bands took influence from that album or or that song or or were introduced to the Stones through that song. Or, you know, that's the one song that they know or or maybe they know that one and another one. But that's like their staple. Yeah, everybody knows that. Yeah. Let's move on to another one, which is honestly... I think the biggest one and the most surprising one on the list, and, and I feel kind of bad giving away the best one on the list, but um, it, it's actually not. There's there's a ton of good ones that are surprising depending on what you know fan you are. But this this is really some something else. Could you believe that Freddie Mercury from Queen wrote Bohemian Rhapsody, recorded it, it was ready to go, and he thought this doesn't cut it for our album. Wow. Bohemian Rhapsody. Just let that sink in for a second. That's bizarre because you think of the amount of yeah the amount of money it cost to to produce that one track as well. Wasn't it the most expensive song ever recorded or something? Definitely, it was one of the most expensive songs ever recorded due to like just its complexity and you know the operatic section with the rock section Mm -hmm. and everything was so complex that it took forever to get done and and you know it took a lot of work and by that point Queen was already big they didn't need to prove anything really they just needed to make a good album and you know so freddie was really just like thinking this isn't like good enough to make it on the album really like (laughs) (laughs) um it it really is (laughs) something like i mean there's a movie named after this there's movie scenes that are unforgettable that have this music behind it that you know it's just like almost a a movement in its own it's it's one of the it's ascended it's it's an anthem for for the world and uh (laughs) freddie mercury thought no i just i I don't think i'm gonna put it on the album (laughs) a night in the opera yeah a night at the opera doesn't need it honestly the world doesn't need bohemian rhapsody i'm not feeling it today yeah (laughs) but that that one is huge for me i could not believe that that was going to be left off of the album like what and I guess the, the next one that I have, um, I, I picked it because it's it's definitely, it goes back to kind of like the roots of rock and roll and maybe like it was, rock and roll was in a, in a place where it wasn't really seen as like commercial yet or uh, as a popular thing. But um, Bob Dylan, obviously a famous acoustic, like writer, uh, folk, you know, Americana type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard of Bob Dylan. Um, we've heard of the man. Um, he apparently, you know, during this time, he wrote Like a Rolling Stone, you know, a massive, massive hit. I mean, it's, you know, an anthem. Yep. Uh, inspired the Rolling Stones, you know, who we just talked about. So um, yes. <laughs> I think this one really goes to the heart of it. It was just a bad time for rock and roll. He played it for his the executives at his label and everyone just was like, no, we can't market rock and roll right now. I know like people are making money off this right now, but we can't do this. We need to stick to what we know. Bob, what are you doing? You know? And he just kind of went, hey, I wrote this song. I know it's six minutes. I know it's too long. I know people don't really want to listen to six minute <laughs> songs right now. You know, it's everything's just very 
bubble gum and pop. So he said, you know, I believe in this song. I'm going to do what I want to do. So apparently what he did is he went to like a high-end club and he asked one of his DJ friends to play it at the club. And apparently they spun it all night and people sang and danced to all six minutes of it <laughs> a million times. And, you know, the rest is history that it, it made just power. The power of rock and roll was, was enhanced one more time. Just thanks to Bob Dylan. Who'd have thought Bob Dylan knew what he was talking about when it came to music, eh? Funny enough, though. Yeah, he, he, he definitely, you know, it's funny how he was the one to believe in that one and, and pushed it through and, and kind of, I love that he went down and talked to one of his DJ friends at a club and asked him to just, yeah, can, can you just play this and see how it goes? Um, but lucky for him, lucky for us, the song was made. And there's, there's tons- and then I, I've got one last one for you. Yeah, go for it. Sorry, you've got one more. Oh, you normally do three. You're going you're gonna to spoil us and give us four this week. Oh, go for it. <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to spoil you, give you one more. This is uh, upon request. Um, and it's also one of the most surprising ones because it's one of the biggest songs ever. During recording of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Kurt Cobain felt like the song was just too, you know, he was stuck with like, it's too commercial and too much like something else. Um, so he thought it, it sounded a little too much like the Pixies. And it sounded a little too much like, uh, you know, they were trying to be like that. When in reality, it's, it's a song that's completely on its own and it's, and it's uh, unique to Nirvana. And it's obviously become and ascended to be, you know, an anthem for a whole generation of people. And, um, but it's funny because he, he was someone writing a song about his personal experience. Um, and I, I think it would have been crazy to leave this song out of the album. Who doesn't know smells like teen spirits, you know? Incredible, incredible. Fantastic list again, Maudi, as always. And and I have had a sneak peek on that list, to be honest with you. And there's, there's not just rock stuff on there. There's some interesting kind of pop ones and stuff as well, isn't there? There's the, Yeah, there, there, it covers uh, most genres. It, it's not necessarily just rock. Um, but you, you'd be mm-hmm. surprised some of the songs that you see in here. Yeah. Like anthems, just anthems that maybe we would have just been left on the, you know, cutting room floor <laughs> and we never heard yeah. of them. You know, it's just would have been not giving too much away. The king of the king of pops in there, he, isn't he? With he is. one of his most iconic. He facts. is. I, I honestly, I, I would have done. I would have given you the facts on that one, but that would have been just too much. Uh, yeah, there. You know, too much. Yeah, if you could imagine Michael Jackson. So how are we going to find out about the rest of this then? Well, you can go to the History of Rock Facebook page and give me a follow and a like, and I'll be feeding you all these little you know, tidbits and facts about the history of rock. We've been working on some new content. And you can also just go to ranker.com and look up your favorite band. And there's a whole ranking of lists and everything that you can just go wild on. Fantastic. That's what exactly what we're going to do right now, Maudi. Thank you very much for joining us again. It's a pleasure as always. Absolute pleasure, Paul. Thank you for having me. There you go. Another brilliant episode of Classic Rock Musings. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast series wherever you're listening to this now. Give us a review and a rating too, please. It all helps. Tell your friends and spread the word about this podcast. 
Coming on the next episode then, we're going back to the mid to late 70s to where it all began. We're going to speak to a guitarist from a brilliant punk band whose first ever show was supporting the Sex Pistols. They've got some huge singles themselves and he's got stories about the Sex Pistols and Clash and Kurt Cobain after touring with Nirvana. So definitely look out for episode 9 coming out on the 30th of November. Until episode 9 then, take it easy and keep listening to your rock music. And if you come across anyone who isn't a fan, then just tell them my music is better than yours. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.